Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to episode 16 of Matt D'Elia is Confused. I've been looking high and low for a guest to talk to about cults. Either a cult survivor or a cult expert or I don't know. But I definitely found the right guest to talk to about this. Um, her name is Tony Natali. And she is the former longtime girlfriend of Keith Raniere, the leader of the cult known as Nexium. Nexium has been in the news a lot these last couple of years. Um, Keith's name has been in the in the headlines nonstop. Um, and if you know about Nexium, if you've read anything about it, you know that it's a sex cult, and it is a or it was a sex cult. But it was also much more than that. Um, and it went on for decades. Before it ever turned into a crazy sex cult, it was, well, just a regular cult, if that's a thing. But Tony's story has everything you could ever want in a story about cults. And cults have always fascinated me, always confused me. And I was so excited to talk to Tony. Uh, our conversation went great, and I'm excited for you guys to hear it. Here it is, my conversation with Tony Natali. Okay. My name is Tony Natali. I am a survivor. Um a mom, a uh, compassionate person when it comes to finding, making sure that the truth comes out. And, you know, this whole process of, of has evolved from a point of, you know, just being a seeker, looking for someone that's looking for a better way in the world. And, the way that it was presented to me in the early in the early nineties by Keith Raniere and what it turned out to be as we all as the world watched in two thousand eighteen has been it's been quite a trip. Yeah, and obviously um so my listeners know you have a brand new book out about your experience called The Program and I read it and okay, here's the thing. I was already like so fascinated by this whole story, uh, you know, um, 
from from his early days into Nexium, uh, into DOS, which we'll get into the details of all that. But the framework with which you presented and your story sort of allows us a way in because because it's and I've, I think I've heard you say this somewhere, but. You know, you're not a Nexium survivor. You were never in Nexium. Your experience with Keith was yes. f- sort of from the beginning. And, and it's, I mean, I hate to use it this way, but you know, with Joker out, there's like this super villain origin story thing that's, that's out there. And you kind of were there at a time when he went from possibly in air quotes, normal businessman uh-huh. to. Uh-huh madman and i think the the way that you get us in and sort of get into his mindset and your own uh, in terms of your own involvement i just think it's a really unique and interesting way into to this whole story so you met keith what was the name consumer bylines was that what he was doing when you met him yes consumers byline correct. okay so consumers byline and that was tell us what that what that was and so we get a sense of where he was when you met him So I met him in the early 90s, and the thing that I like to preface with people is it was before the Internet. Right. So where we're all used to having all of the answers literally in the palm of our hands today, Mm -hmm. that's not something that was available then. You you looked into somebody's eyes and you asked them a question, they answered it, and you you hoped that they were were telling you the truth. Right. Um, So it was a consumer-based organization. It was a membership buying club kind of like a Sam's or BJ's or Costco type of thing. Mm-hmm. And there was, you know, X amount was paid per month for this membership. And then you saved hundreds or thousands of dollars on your goods and services, depending on how much you use the membership. But the basic pro- pro- program, mm-hmm. the, the consumer's byline membership was good. It was Keith that was the problem. right? And it grew to over 200,000 people at one point. So it was a huge organization. It was all across the United States. But he was a businessman, as you say. Right. What I met was a businessman who touted a 240 IQ, top three problem solvers in the world, triple grade, triple grade, triple grade um, graduate from RPI. Mm. And he, you know, and, and he presented this in a way that seemed legitimate and, and you had no reason not really to believe that. The enablers that were with him then, him then, some of them still with him at the end, right. were still there when he was arrested, helped him to perpetuate this this lie. And it was almost like snowball. So it started to roll with just a few people, and it kept going and going and going. And who doesn't want to meet the smartest man in the world? And mm-hmm. who doesn't want to learn something? We all, I think, want, want to be better people. We're put here to... Um, I think innately humans are good. So we want to learn and we want to grow. And he presented it in a way that uh, obviously over 200,000 people were right. involved and interested. And and the framework, I mean, it's interesting just <clears throat> to continue framing it a little bit. You mentioned his enablers and we can get into them specifically later. But, but just in general, I think to my eye, it seems as though even if you're – you meet the guy and he's just a businessman and he might have out there shit to say. However, he might, even if you're considering, well, is this guy up to no good? He still has this like cater of people around him who sort of validate what he says for you. And they all seem legitimate too, right? 
Yes, very much so. And that very was true so. even when you met him in the beginning, right? It was, and it's how we started it in the beginning. I mean, you had one of the women that were involved was from a DC family, um, Kayford's family. They're one of the they're socialites in, in, in the DC area. And then you had Karen Unterreiner, who was an actuary. It's not very many actuaries in the country. She was a brilliant, brilliant girl. Yeah. Um, his, his dad was a top advertising salesman. There was another woman that was appointed by Reagan to help women with business. And again, this is 91. So it's all new. And, one of the things Keith never considered later on looking forward as a mission as he claimed to be was the internet and the ability for people to, to connect. But at that point you faxed things back and forth to each other. You picked up the phone and you called each other. Right. So the trappings were there and the product was good. Right. So, okay. So, so he goes from consumer consumers byline and then, and then the transition from, I guess, to focus on the transition from a businessman in the eyes of not just his peers or anyone around him, but, but also the world. I mean, even when that went under and was in legal trouble, it was still a, it was still a business. And you could say about him that he's a failed businessman or, 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 or huckster or whatever, but you couldn't, there was nothing that smelled of cult yet. Right. No, right. Okay. he wasn't doing the um, enlightened being, I'm going to save you, self-help. He was, it was a businessman. There was more, really more men involved than there were women. Mm. And, you know, the, the meetings that we would have would have anywhere between 500 and four, four or 5,000 people in attendance, huh. all promoting this membership. So as you say, yes, it was a, it was a, a failed business, but yet a business. Right. It wasn't a, um, a self-help group. And, and as you point out in the book, something that I really, um, I think got a, a lot out of was, was when you sort of point to its concurrence with Nexium's, the beginning of Nexium's concurrence sort of with like the, the original self-help craze with Tony Robbins and things like that, that I think Keith saw an avenue towards as a businessman, you could even argue, well, that's where the money for man like me really is. Is that right? I mean, he sort of like saw what Tony was doing, as you write, from what I understand, and was like, yeah. how do I do that, right? Yes, because we, when Consumers by Line closed and we started a health food business, it was he was not a dollar-sized as he was with Consumers by Line. Mm. So there wasn't even 50 people that were cheering his name. We were selling supplements right. and working with myself, with children with ADD, ADHD, and helping people with nutritional protocols. And the concept itself was great and would have been wonderful, but it wasn't giving him what he wanted. He wasn't the smartest man in the world. It wasn't his accolade that drew people in. It was the savings on the supplements. Right. And when he met Nancy, Nancy claimed to be number two NLP expert in the world. And he had seen what what Tony Robbins did with him with his business mm -hmm. and what his growth was. And he saw this as his next in. It was his next Keith replaced people. As people came in his life, he used them, and he used them for whatever his needs were to be able to further his own agenda. And when he was done with them, he would toss them aside. Mm. Nancy checked all the right boxes for him to be able to bring him to that next level. So this is Nancy Salzman, right? Yes. Okay, so yes. Nancy Salzman. So, okay, so w them coming together, as you point out, was sort of the 
the beginning of the 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 path towards true criminality and 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 terror and all that stuff so they she enables him he juices her for everything she's worth not necessarily economically but but uses her skills uh and sort of folds them in to get where he wants to go so if if when that happens like what and you're at that point i forget actually the timeline but are you still this is when you came back into keith's life is that right when they when they first get together I was still in Keith's life. Okay. I had not, not left. Um, okay. We were together. I Nancy was brought into my health food business. She had a problem with constipation, so someone brought her in for. She's still full of shit. But, <laughs> uh, yeah, she needed some help, so she came in and and we sat down and we talked and. She said, "Thank you so much. I mean, this is amazing." And because Nancy had such a great reputation in the in the Capital Region and the in, in the NLP neuro linguistic programming world, um, people knew who she was. We knew who she was, mm-hmm. and Keith saw himself as an NLP expert. It's what he used that and and some sort of hypnosis. That's how I quit smoking. Mm-hmm. Um, he's the the taking of the tests the drawing people in he's been working on perfecting this i think for decades and when he found nancy she had that skill set and she had the um she had the connection she had the business acumen she had the community she was his next his next move right so in meeting him um what they did was Nancy had already developed a pro a program that, in my opinion, is ESP or was ESP. ESP turned out to be what she did on steroids. And right. he watched her do that presentation. That's all he needed to see. Right. And that's executive success programs. That's Keith's company, right? Yes. Executive. Well, yes. It's is, Keith, Keith's Nancy's. Right. Place. Okay. Okay. Right. 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 Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay, so I guess here's where I want to ask uh, you ha- to in a much different way. You were sort of roped into Keith's life. He clearly one of his, I don't know if you could call it a skill, but I guess it is a skill. I mean, he can ingratiate himself with people and get people to believe in him. People who aren't at all stupid, who aren't yes, at right. all anything really besides. I mean, ambitious sometimes comes to mind. Uh, seekers, I think, is a lot of word, is a word that mm-hmm. comes up often in the book. These are people who have minds. They're not just stupid, falling in line and listening to somebody who says they know more. The, you, these are real thinking, smart, sometimes brilliant people. I think yes. to an outsider, it's it's all we know is well. I mean, you know, once the DOS stuff came to light, which we can get into later. But once that was out, everyone just thought, well, who the fuck would ever do what this guy says? He's clearly right. demented. And, and obviously he is demented, but, but I think that it, 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 and I think you can speak to this. It, it, it leaves out a, the long play of, of he didn't come up to anyone and say, Hey, do this for me, do that for me. He, he sort of woos them and lies to them and does whatever he does. And, 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 and I, I know it's over a long period of time, but what is that – the beginning of him sort of getting you on his side, what is that like? And I know you weren't there for when it happened to Nancy, but to a degree it happened to you as well in a much different way. And obviously on your end, it, you experienced it much differently. But but still there was that beginning of what is the allure of a person like him? 
I guess. So well, how does he present I, that? Yeah. I think with Keith, it's very simple. It's the same playbook, but different players. Mm-hmm. He has a very thin playbook from mm-hmm. how he brings someone in, even to the verbiage that he uses, that I learned later in, in sitting through the trial, and uh, his legal litigation. Everything is is very much the same, because why not? It's, it's worked all these years. Mm-hmm. So him drawing, him when I got involved with him, he, be, I mean, he listens, right. he listens and he hears everything and he waits, he waits for that crack in the plate. Mm. He waits to hear where is that soft spot or where is your strength? Because what he does draw in is when people say, Oh, these people are so stupid. Right. They're not, they're really bright people and they're producers. They're hard workers. He's lazy. Keep mm. his lazy. So he wants someone that's going to do the work for him. And over the years, as people have left ESP, Nexium, whatever next organization he created and, and put out there, and they would find me, what I came to learn was what they thought was so wonderful in him was really what was wonderful in them. Mm-hmm. And he has an ability to be able to draw that out of you. And then kind of kick it back to you like you're learning something for the first time, but really you're coming to the table with that. Right. That's not that's not someone that's stupid. That's just someone that's trying to or believing that they're going to a mentor that knows better, that can teach them. I mean, for after I after we split up, what he became, which was just hysterical to me, was a renunciant. Uh. And. And that he had no need for material matter, and um, was he was he was celibate, which was in absolutely an insane thought. Right. And the way that he was able to propagate that is the what the Eastern District did when they when they presented the trial was they presented the inner circle, and mm. in the book there's a photograph of all the people that were in the inner circle. Mm-hmm. Those people held his secret safe. Now, not all of them knew all of the other parts, mm-hmm. but in the very beginning, enough of them knew enough, and then they just kind of built this this fortress around him so that if you had a question or if you balked at something, someone would come in and say, oh, yeah, no, 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 he's smartest man in the world, you have to believe, you have to trust, and these were big names in their own right. right. I mean, the ex-president of Mexico's son, Emiliano Salinas. Um, you know, so the, the the people that that he brought in to do his bidding for him had in their own rights their own group of people mm-hmm. that looked to them. So by the time you got to Keith in his new version of himself, mm-hmm. you had gone through so many classes and and been EM'd, programmed talk to bowed i mean they condition you right from the very beginning with the handshakes and the scarves and the bowing to the pictures that Mm -hmm. yeah this is this is our vanguard this is our prefect right right and and i it's so it starts as a as a as a self-help company i mean that's what it's billed as nexium Mm -hmm. is is for self-help and and so 
people are going and they're, they're getting results. I mean, right. Like people I've seen testimonials. People really did swear by it to, to, to that. It improved their lives, their outlook, their mood. I mean, clearly he had to have gotten some kinds of early results to sort of to a get new members, but also to create scenarios where people would do anything for him. Right. I mean, there was an element where at least the early returns on, I don't know, mood were, were, were working, right? I mean, there was something that was working. Is that right? Sure, sure. I mean, you know, the, the fact that he took concepts from other things and mashed them all up and then called them executive success program. So even the term itself may has you, gives you a feel of if you want to succeed in, in business or be successful in life, this is where you want to go. Right. And if you, took a five-day or even if you took a longer program and didn't get involved in the in the in the minutiae you Mm -hmm. were just you took the coursework and you went on i think they said like fourteen thousand people went through the program so if fourteen thousand people went through and five percent of the population is susceptible to hypnotic induction or you know more of this type of a thing he's very very patient he just waits and distills down and waits and distills down and has at this point now perfected through classwork and and um breakout groups and information that they get from people very personal information Mm -hmm. that they get from people so he's able to know who he can target through his own, through the, the other right. coaches or proctors. But they, the classes themselves are structured in a way to expose you to anything that's ever happened to you as a child or an adult. Mm-hmm. So you're, you're open. So now someone that's earnest and really want, cares is going to help you build back up. Right. Someone like Keith is going to help you break that down. Right. One thing I, d- uh, I did sort of, Two things, I guess. I mean, one, and, and it sort of speaks to what you're saying right now, is that it, it's very – there are a lot of tenets of what he was about and what he was espousing that were very similar to Scientology. And oh, yeah. Was he like a – was that – I mean, I guess it might be immaterial to even bother asking, but, but was this like a conscious effort? Was he, was he not even aware of what he was up to do you think or was he do you think he was saying i want to create this sort of army of people who will do exactly what i say believe exactly what i say or do you think it was more this as at just as sort of the victims of nexium would say it's this sort of slower developing thing where one thing leads to another and then suddenly he's this evil person or do you think that that was his his actual what he was seeking was this sort of ultimate goal of building this cult institution type of thing. Cause I mean, it's so similar to Scientology in certain areas. I find it almost hard to believe that it wasn't by design, you know? Okay. So let me, let me digress. Yeah. My, my mom used to say that in order for him to be with you, Tony, he had to be normal. So right. when Keith and I were together, he presented as normal, you know, as you do the air quotes, normal yeah. as you could be, because in order to, in a relationship with me, that's what he had to show me. And that's what he showed to the world. And he did that as long as he could until he couldn't do it any longer mm. until he found a replacement because he needed someone else to enable him into his next project. And he, he was very, he was very aware of Scientology mm-hmm. and reading about it and on ran and on ran and, and that type of philosophy. And he wanted that 
Keith is very deliberate in everything he does. And he's five or ten steps ahead of wherever anyone else thinks he is. Mm-hmm. He, missed, he missed a few steps here, but... <laughs> You know, I think that what happened is as he got away, we all have moral compasses. So where's our line in the sand? So as he got each one of these people to push the line, like any, any psychopath, Mm -hmm. he escalate and he'd escalate a little more. And then he'd get somebody to do the next thing. And then they'd escalate a little more. And the whole premise of some of the EMs and some of the things that even before he had executive success program, just getting people to tell him all of his deep, their secrets, all of the things that bother him because he's going to help you through this. And then he uses it against you. Yeah. So I think it's, yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's exactly, again, it's exactly what we hear from the stories of people who escape from Scientology. It's the same thing where it's, they get you to tell them things that you would never really tell. Or in Keith's case, I mean, collateral actual collateral where you know Uh if you leave uh, let's talk about that a little bit actually so you your experience was when you left him one thing i wanted to ask you about was his 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 complete unremitting will to not let you even you get away i mean you weren't someone who was in nexium it was just before that right so you're Uh I'm confused why he doesn't just let you get away because eventually, and it ended up being true, it fucked him over to be someone who was unrelenting in their pursuit of not letting others get away. Yeah, you know, it's it's the million-dollar question because um, I I think that if he can't possess you, he has to destroy you. And because he gave me, in his view, a, a, a position that he has not given to anyone prior or since right. and we had a home and we were raising my son together and like you know he had the the normal i am i am now very clear that there was a lot of things going on while i was while we were together and he was presenting this not to the extent of where he again he escalated not to the extent of where he was but there were enough red flags that i should have been more aware but you see what you want to see right. and you, you believe what you want to believe. And when I just couldn't, you know, it was just too clear that there were things that would never, were never going to jive with my life. Just let me go. Yeah. But there, there was no letting me go. I mean, he created a module about me called the fall. <laughs> um, you know, you see in the book, the death timeline about how my life, and there's two of them. I have the other uh, first death timeline, first yeah. timeline in there. Um, just <laughs> obsessive because no one leaves Keith. Yeah. You know, they just, just they just don't leave. And, and had he let me go, I don't know. I don't know if a lot of this would have transpired because, right. Even the Forbes article, the first Forbes article that was written was 2003, and he was, Michael Friedman was doing a story on executive coaching, and every time he Googled Keith's name, my name would come up with my bankruptcy pleading, Right. and he went and looked at the files, and what I, what my mother lovingly referred to as the crazy letters, the gaslighting letters, all the gaslighting letters were in my bankruptcy file. Oh. So he came to talk to that, right? And he's like, 
what is up with this guy? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's exposing himself in, in a way that it seems so unnecessary and at least a, played, a, played at least a role in, in his downfall, at least hurrying it up. I mean, there's no way to look at that kind of behavior of not letting people get away, even when he can afford to let them get away. It just ended right. up blowing up uh, in his face to, to, to a large degree. Uh, he, okay, so... I want to talk a little bit more about the inner circle because I think that plays into sort of Nexium sort of ramping up. And the inner circle, because he, 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 again, he had that from since before you even met him. Uh, mm-hmm. And those are the same people that sort of were his minions in coming after you, making your life a living hell, right? Mm-hmm. And so, and so they're, they're sort of perpetuating the myth of Keith as Nexium gets started. And it's having some degree of success and i know this is when you're already gone at this point but what when does it start to um in your mind when does it start to become like a full-on what most people would call a cult is that from that from the beginning because when does it make that transition from like this is helping people even if he does have this manipulation about people behind the scenes he's a terrible person there are still people getting results, but when does it cross that threshold into this is only dangerous for anyone who even steps into the ring here? I, I, my own personal opinion is it's dangerous from day one. Right. I mean, the, the concept and the, for someone to elicit um, almost on a therapeutic level things from you that are really deep, deeply rooted because he had the ability to be able to elicit that through questions or programming or the coursework is, and it's why I left. I mean, I went through the pilot program, so I went through the mm-hmm. first ESP coursework. Mm-hmm. And for me, what I saw scared the shit out of me. Right. It, it was because I had, I had so many what Nancy called therapy. I had so many sessions with Nancy, um, salesman, mm-hmm. prefect, during the time where they were creating this, that what I saw within those courses was the things that I was experiencing in my therapy, in right. my sessions with Nancy. Right. And I went, oh, they, this, this isn't good on any level. Yeah. Um, so, you know, the hands and the knife of a surgeon is a scalpel, but the hands and the knife of a murderer is a murder weapon. Right, yeah. And, and I think that Maybe there was some good in, the, as they call it, the tech. Yes, because they stole it from a million different sources. Right, yeah. But what was the overall um, purpose? Well, it was to elicit the first collateral. It started with just questions and answers of things that you were sharing that you didn't want to share with, you wouldn't want to share with someone else. Right. And then grew. He has this way, I mean, I, I've seen some, I went down the 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 rabbit hole on some videos of him. And I, I believe it was Allison Mack and some other guy. There's like, they're almost these like infomercials for Nexium uh-huh. that are still online somehow. It's like the greatest gift. I just want to keep watching it. It's like, it's like impossible to not <laughs> look at this, but they're, the very first video I watched is fascinating because your book time and time again would underscore this thing that he does. And I think it's a tactic of any kind of deep, deeply twisted manipulator and they're it's almost like their first the first thing on their agenda is to frame expertise as a bullshit thing 
And if expertise is a bullshit thing, then anything can be true or best. And if that's the case, why not my thing? Like he, 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 he there's this line that he, he has, he talks about, um, he makes like some joke about how he has no credential. He has the best credentials, even though he has no credentials right. and, and he's framing it as like, well, if you went to all these other doctors and they have the best credentials and what they did didn't work, then I'm mm-hmm. obviously the best option. And that's so deeply flawed, but I think it, it really grabs you. And I think that that therein lies almost the magic of the cult leader, because it's like they're framing the other things you've tried as bullshit. And that they're not going to work. And if they didn't work, then just even the credential giving apparatus might be bullshit. And if that's bullshit, then everything might be bullshit. And if everything's bullshit, then you can just listen to me. Because look at all these people who agree with me. And he does that in so many ways. And I think that that is probably, if you, again, if we want to call it a skill, that's probably the skill that led him to getting people to tell him this shit, right? I mean, because as you said, as you just said, these are things people don't want to tell people. These are things we don't, I mean, we don't want to get it. We don't want to give people nude photos of us just because this is something we, we understand as collateral as in if, if it gets out into the world, that would be bad. So to get someone to even open up to him or Nancy at all, it's almost like this bait and switch of like the world out there is full of lies and bullshit, which again, I would even argue that that's not true, but right. I, I would include Keith in that group. You know, he's bullshit too. And anyone who says they have the answer is bullshit. But I think as you're, if you've already arrived to say something that is ostensibly for self-help, you're someone who wants to yes. be helped and yes. to prey on that. Is, yeah. is it's like the bread and butter of the cult leader, you know? Yes, and you're 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 being presented with the smartest man in the world, and and Nancy Salzman, who is the prefect and the NLP expert, and then you have the Brothmans, mm-hmm. the, you know, the heiresses from the Seagram's fortune, and Sir Richard Branson, whose island they use, yeah. and the Dalai Lama that they brought in. So you know, you have a lot of gets here. Yeah, yeah, the yeah. People, the people look past the crazy. And they and and they don't get to see. It wasn't until 2009 when an, a wave of women left and they contacted me that I realized how he got really how he got from where I had last seen him mm. to 2009. I I went to meet with them in a house and they were in, they were up in this house and there was a large television screen. There's this video playing and they were all watching this video and I said. Who, who is that? Who are you watching? And they said, Keith. And I said, Keith who? <laughs> <laughs> because the Keith that you see on the cover of the book is who they were watching. The last Keith that I saw was inside the photos. Right. So he had gone to this this place where he really did believe that he was Jesus or some facsimile of that. Mm-hmm. And it was it was a little frightening. It was wow, yeah. all right. But you didn't get to that unless you almost at that point until you unless you went to Vanguard Week, right? So, which is a ten day celebration of his birth. In case anyone's interested, if you yeah. want to send him gifts, August twenty sixth. I'm sure August he can use something <laughs> something in his commissary. Yeah, um, that's the same birthday as a particularly bad um, ex girlfriend of mine. So maybe it's that day. If you're born on that day, then you should avoid all people born on August 26th. 
Um, but Vanguard, okay. So the Vanguard thing, the prefect thing, you've mentioned that. I want to talk about that a little bit. That wasn't, tell me if I'm wrong, but that wasn't when you were around when he was insisting on being called Vanguard, correct? That's when they, they, that's when they started. Okay. That's what they started. And that's when I went, yeah, no, I'm not going to call him Vanguard and I'm going to leave now. Right. Yeah. That is (laughs) like, I'm done. Yeah. I mean, that is, that is the ultimate sign when someone asks you to call them that. So, okay. He's now, you leave, he's now calling himself Vanguard. Nancy is his prefect. And do people, I mean, maybe you don't know because you're already gone, but do people have, who have already been with him to this point, are they at all doing what you're doing as far as you know, thinking, is this going too far? Because I think the, I think the long play progression makes sense to me, but let's put it this way. Even if my brother, who I love more, more than anyone, asked me to call him Vanguard, I'd say, go fuck yourself. And, and, right. and, I, and so I think, you know, I, I'm trying to be as understanding of someone who could fall victim to this as I can, but there are okay. parts that, that don't allow me to do that. And one of them right. is, is my teacher or coach or whoever it is asking mm-hmm. me, someone who I'm paying to help me asking me to call them Vanguard or prefect. Can you talk about that a little bit? Was that like, did that, or was that just another thing that happened and that was just building on itself? So I didn't, so, so that the audience understands, I didn't just leave. Mm -hmm. It wasn't like, I'm going to pack up and go. I was, my house was broken into, they stole my mail. They shut off my electric. I mean, I was gaslit to the point where I couldn't see straight. So it was, it was more of a run for your life than it was break up with your boyfriend. And it wasn't, Um, and it it was because you weren't co- quote unquote, cooperating with Keith as he exactly wanted and and said he needed. You were doing what one does, which is live their own life. And when someone asks ridiculous things of you, you don't do them. And they were pushing you doing actually genuinely disturbing and illegal shit. And you literally basically escaped in the middle of, of the night, right? Right. I mean, they put a virus in my computer. They wiped out my business. There was no you know, there, there's no breaking up with Keith. Right. So when you say how do people move into that in that next phase, I mean, I watched from a distance because they were dragging me through court. So mm-hmm. I was in litigation with him for eight and a half years for my bankruptcy. So these people that were at one point, quote unquote, my friends, and that were the enablers that in some cases were with him, those that did not pass already to the end, um, there was just a constant, it was constant litigation. Yeah. And I would watch and think, how are these other people? How is it that they don't see this crazy man? Right. He did very well with isolating himself from anything else. It was, it was through edification through another person. He didn't come up to you and say, call me Vanguard. Right. He right. would have, Whoever was close, like you say, your brother. So you mentioned that your brother, if he asked you to do anything like that, you tell him to go fuck himself. Yeah. But but you'd listen to him, wouldn't you? Sure, yeah. So if he could get you to listen and he could get convince you and maybe bring you in and they could convince you in a five day, or you'd get just some good things out of it and go, okay, so that's not so bad. And the Vanguard part is like you call somebody sensei and right, the scarves right. are like a black belt because that's the way they present it. So there's, they make plausible deniability for so many things that right. you go, well, you know, okay. And that's kind of how he does things. The best lies have a little grain of truth in them. Right. So 
this is how he presents. Well, yes, you do call someone a sensei and, and you bow to them and you do wear a scarf. So, and their pictures are on the wall. Right. And so you're right. bent, not you, but someone is bending here, bending there, making concessions, saying, well, it's not. And then next thing they know, right. they've mm-hmm. given up either information or whatever it might be that, that they shouldn't have in retrospect. And now Keith and you know his minions have something on you and you can't leave. And I'm assuming at that point for people who are still in it and then considering leaving, they're doing some kind of mental gymnastics where it's like, well, they know best. Maybe there's been a little bit of results and their lives have been benefited in some areas. So they think, well, I guess I'll just keep going with it. And then that is sort of where it starts to get really ugly because you're starting to think, well, the walls are closing in and this is weird, but I'm going to stay and stay committed and not blow up my life or whatever. And so then these people are in there for one, two, three years. Because I, I feel like at a certain point, um, it's it gets to this place of your someone is it's like the micro decisions as it goes and and we're sort of putting blinders on as our lives move forward to the things that are really out of whack or out of place or or, or unsafe feeling and and if someone's asking you to call them vanguard and you're already so deep into this thing then getting out of it as you can easily attest is a fucking nightmare. So it's almost like it, it benefits you to be able to put those blinders on. It benefits you in the short term. Your life doesn't have to be blown up. You don't have to get this litigation, nonstop litigation. You, you know, you can at least stay in the shell that you've created and there's no immediate danger to your life. Although if you try to go anywhere, then you're fucked. It, it creates this like horrible existential jail that these people are sort of in so even if they are thinking oh this is getting weird it's the incentive to leave isn't it's not so clear it's not like you can just go and then that's the last and your hands are you know clean and that's you're done there's so much shit to deal with and i'm assuming they all know about you right and people like you who've maybe tried to leave and that's the last thing they want to subject themselves to right because it would be put out i mean one of the girls in the trial said you know What's the worst thing that could possibly, one of the witnesses, what's the worst thing that could possibly happen? She said, well, you'd be labeled a suppressive. Right. And she said, well, what's a suppressive? And she's a little horrible person. No one wants to be a suppressive. And she said, do you know any suppressives? She said, yes, one. Hmm. Have you heard of one? And she says, yes. And she said, who is that? And she said, Tony Natale. I've never met this girl. She was in her 20s. Yeah. When she, I mean, it, it just crazy things. So they use that as a flag. And I think for, for some people that went through Executive Success, ESP, Nexium, that were not tied to Albany, their experiences were different. Mm. The people that were tied to Albany or the people, you know, the joke was everyone moves to Albany. Uh-huh. Once someone hooks you to move to Albany, you're going down a very different path than you are if you're going to a, a center someplace else. Right, a chapter I, somewhere else. Right, right, right. If you're there with Keith, around Keith, then you're too far gone for yes. any, yeah, okay. Well, he, know, well, he knows that he, he knows. If he's gotten, if he has somehow figured out through whomever a way to bring you there, he knows that you're someone that he can keep pushing that line with, mm-hmm. you know. Moving that, moving that line in the sand to see how far he can get you to go. Yeah, and you know, at that point, you are in, You don't just, you don't just leave a cult. 
you because when you leave, you lose most likely your financial, mm-hmm. your friends, your your what you call your family, your day to day existence. It's not just breaking up with a boyfriend; it's blowing up your life. Yeah, and then how many lives did you bring into that while you were drinking the Kool Aid and saying this is so wonderful? Yeah, when you have your aha moment, thank God. But what about the people that you brought in that haven't yet? Yeah. And I watched some amazing people that left in this last blow up or talk to people for hours and explain to them and be passionate and, and just heartbroken over the fact that they felt that they brought him into something that they internally believed was good mm. until they saw it for what it was. One of the things Keith does better than anyone I've ever seen in, in my life is compartmentalize. Mm, yeah. So. His ability to have someone literally standing next to each other and one not knowing what the other is doing stayed pretty he did pretty well with it up until he was caught here. Yeah, I mean, what a high wire juggling act. I mean, he kept so many secrets even from those among his inner circle. And I guess now would be the time to get into his fucking insane sex stuff, which is legitimately crazy. I mean, that's the st- okay. So that's the stuff that like made people for for maybe this is a lazy way to put it but it, it seems like it's the thing that made people care like that was yeah. once that sex slave dos thing broke then mm-hmm. people were like oh this is a fucked up thing which it which to me in itself is fucked up because it it's it was fucked up for like 15 years before that clearly i agree i agree matt <laughs> and so you're just it's like you just it's like the, these people just want to fucking read about sex and that's what that's what like leads them to to finally being outed it's almost double disturbing to me but that being said it is sort of what ended up being the sign of his demise once all of this dos stuff came out so why don't you just tell us it, what dos is in in its offshootness of nexium and all that stuff so what happens what happens with keith is he starts off with executive success program and then nexium and then he created different programs there was the source if you're into acting and there was sop society protectors the men's group and mm. there was another group called Jeunesse, which was a women's group for women only developed by a man and that <laughs> itself should have just said somebody should have said what's going on here it's a sign to run um, yeah yeah, XOSO. I mean, he, so he created, which is yoga and things. So he created all these different entities, the nice media. So again, go back to that controlling all, all of your experiences. He realized people needed this, this external input. So he created entities so that the only information they were getting was the information he wanted them to get. Right. And DOS was created as, you know, a women, again, another woman's only group. That was, that was, it was supposed to be a secret sorority type of thing. And it's my opinion that because we as a society, we've desensitized a lot of things just by what we see every day and what we experience, that he takes those, those things like Fifty Shades of Grey and Mm -hmm. he uses them to yeah. create his next thing. I'm grateful watching Handmaid's Tale that he's in prison. Yeah. Because I watch that and I think, wow, what would he do with that? Because yeah. <laughs> He's just pulling from he, the worst possible shit, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and when he created the DOS Society, he did, it was the same type of thing. And seeing how far he could push. So he had his core 
first-line slaves that he convinced to be able to bring these women in and then ran them. And you can't, you can't, you can't go branding people. You can't put, can't brand your initials on people's bodies. You can't do that. It, yeah. it, no, no. It finally was the tipping point. And it's, and you're right. It is a little sad that it took that something that disturbing to wake people up yeah. because it was not for lack of trying. Say <laughs> that this man is dangerous. Yeah, I mean, when I f- a- when I first read i mean that was when i read about it when the world read about it and i just thought it was a sex cult until for a while you know and then when Uh i finally started doing my homework i was like this is not a fucking sex the sex cult was like the icing on the cake it was it was a long-running cult that destroyed hundreds and hundreds of people's lives yes Yes, and I think absolutely. people maybe still don't know that. I think they still think of it as like this Hollywood sex cult, and it's right. it was neither one of those things—not Hollywood nor sex. I mean, it, no. it, and both of those things were certainly touched upon and 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 had a played a role. But this was going on in Albany and had nothing to do with sex for decades before the world knew about it and now knows about it as a sex cult. So, so, so Doss is. He he had his inner circle be these master slaves who would go out in, in within next the Nexium group and select slaves for themselves to be their masters, right? Mm-hmm. Correct. And then they would have what the meetings. I'm still a little bit confused as to Keith was running it and in secret, right? And that was like yes. the big thing. It was supposed to be just among the women in Nexium, but in reality, these masters were actually just reporting to Keith. Is that right? Yes. His, his first-line slaves knew that it was him. Right. It was the slaves that they brought in that until they were, they were um, given their, their instructions to go seduce Keith right. you know, and, or photos. So as they got further along, they would eventually, some of them, find out that it was, in fact, Keith behind it. But for many of them, they didn't know. They really thought it was, you know, women-only type of an organization. Uh, but his, his core, his first-line slaves, yeah. not only knew what was going on, they, they were helping him. And so the women that they brought in, they were they were already, some of them had been in Nexium for years, yeah. the Jeunesse program. So they were already... It, it was already established that they would listen to a certain way or give collateral to a certain extent mm-hmm. or behave in a certain manner. So he knew who to tap mm-hmm. and he would send them out to get who he felt that, you know, would please him. What a fucking piece of shit. I mean, in reading your book, it's just like, wow, this fucking guy is just like the, I mean, the biggest piece of shit. There is. It's unfucking believable. It's insatiable. His his piece of shitness, his his appetite for piece of shitness is insatiable. It's just never yeah. ending. Um, yeah. And I'm curious as to what, because because you talk, I think, which I think is super interesting in the book about how once that sort of initial group of insiders, the, his sort of inner harem, right, inner sanctum, uh, mm-hmm. once they sort of either got out, went away, or some of them died. Uh, once they're gone is sort of when the, the, the thin veil that was covering up his darkest, darkest desires 
were sort of mm-hmm. unleashed on Nexium, right? Yes. Um, and I'm curious. I, I mean, you talk about this a little bit uh, in terms of Nancy in the book, but I'm how much. What's hard for me is I think okay, well, Keith obviously put that guy in jail until he takes his last breath. The yes. the, the, the the and and it becomes this sort of like sliding scale of how much I've somehow arbitrarily perhaps decided that some people were implicit. The closer they got to Keith, the more implicit, the more um, the more guilty they are, really. And I'm curious yes. as to as to what I think of everyone under his thumb as a victim. But at the same time, some of these people were just as basically just as bad as he was. And mm-hmm. so uh, where did, like, where does that end this sort of the guilt? I, I, I know, do you know what I'm saying? Like there's this, there's a gray line as we move further and further down the line of who was really deserving yes. of punishment and who was a true, true victim. Well, okay. So I don't know. It, when I the long term for this is to work with legislators and change what we see as um, a, a guilt in a coercive relationship, because coercive control is a real thing, right. and it happens on every level, from a, a marital relationship to academia and business in a cult. It happens, and where is that line? Our, our legal system is so black and white in its definition of you know, what the law is, and then you broke the law, and what your time should be, that we don't have a middle ground or a safe place or something for someone that needs help. Mm -hmm. They don't need to be incarcerated. They legitimately need help. We, as a society, at this point, we don't have anything like that. There's just... And it's... you, You say, like, who should be held responsible for what? Nancy Salzman should be right standing next to Keith as they take each last breath yeah. with each other. Mm-hmm. She is definitively was well aware of what she was doing, very capable, very complicit. I don't there's no there's no pass for me for Nancy mm-hmm. because I saw the before, I saw the start, and then I saw what it turned into. And bringing in her own daughter into this this thing, yeah. I, I just it, it doesn't I just don't get it. And there's people that will probably never know what they did mm-hmm. to skirt the law, but there's people that were there from the beginning that were very complicit in helping him to do things that seemingly nothing's going to happen to them. Well, yeah. Other than the fact that the last 20 or 30 years of their lives have been destroyed by this man, which maybe in itself is enough. I don't know. Right. But yeah. I just, um, I, uh, I, I, I don't know. I, we were, I was hoping for yet another round, possibly in the Northern district of New York, who let the ball drop so many times that it's just flat as a pancake. Mm. They had a dozen different opportunities to stop him. And yet, you know, money buys a lot of power. So a lot of uh, blind eyes were turned. Yeah. I mean, that is a big, uh, takeaway from the book. I think it's, it's so, it's such an old story. You hear about it so much and it's still so true that if you have money, you can really – you might not get away with everything but you'll you'll seem like you're getting away with it for much longer than if you didn't have money. I mean Keith's protection is in his 
almost solely in his money because of the yes. Bromfman, the Bromfman um, heiresses, the money that they have that they can attack anyone, yourself included, who mm-hmm. might cross them or come out against them. That money, it's more than a buffer. It's like a, it's, it's like a, a it's a shield. Yeah, exactly. It's, they they wield it. They use it to protect themselves, and it and it's not just the lawsuits that they can sick on other people, but as you say, it buys actual influence and it can, if you're there's, you outline a few ways in the book about how the money sort of allows them to perpetuate what they're doing really without any interference at all. Minus maybe a bad story in Forbes in 2003, but after that, it went on for how many years? It still went on for 15 more years unabated, you know, or it got worse actually. Yes, I mean, in 2012, when the Albany Times Union did that amazing piece, yeah. uh, nothing, it, nothing happened. And how does that, what, what happened? They, they, they came after the people that helped give the information for the story. I mean, it's just the political connections that won. Albany's a cesspool, yeah. and they were able to buy their power there to the point where Nothing was done and very much should have been a dozen different times or stopped. Yeah. I mean, the litigation, if you don't care what the outcome is, you can sue someone because you don't care whether you win or lose. Right. Because if you lose, then you just appeal. And, and, and the person on the other hand, on the other side of it, has to defend yourself. Right. You have to defend yourself as if you're being persecuted and you would have thought that at some point in Albany, they would have seen this pattern that was happening over and over and over again. that was connected to this group and done something, but you know, it's really hard to believe how long it takes to, to stop something like this. And I think it, it's a little, or it's, it's very telling. I think that a cult now can have, the the avenue to success for a cult is almost it's hiding behind or enveloped in this sort of self help business acumen thing improving the self gaining mm-hmm. success i mean executive success programs it's, it's it's all sort of under the same banner it's not like this is why we're here there's not an origin story of humans it's not like you know christianity those are not the kinds of cults that are really primed to blow up anymore because i mean i think that now the only way it can really catch fire is is under the cloak of this businessy self-help thing where um you know a, a guru figure can emerge and sort of uh, it, it's i think it speaks to the sort of like the time of now that a cult can emerge from this cocoon of of like self-help you know uh it's it's very um telling i think well, because that's yeah. what people are interested in right now yeah yeah I mean, you know and if things turn someone that has a mindset like keith will you know they'll find how they can maneuver their way into the next best thing yeah and there's always someone out there sadly that wants to take advantage of people mm-hmm. and you know if you you go for people that like I said, these are a lot of the people that were involved in this organization were wonderful people mm-hmm. just looking for a better way to do things. Yeah. And taking advantage of them, someone that's a psychopath like Keith. Um, thankfully, I don't think there's a lot of Keith Renaries in the world. Yeah. Um, 
But there's, there, if he was the only one and, and he was in jail, I'd have nothing to, I would be done. Right. Because there'd be no reason to educate people. Right. But when, when you say to someone that it's a cult, people, that, you know, everyone has a vision of what a cult looks like to them. Yeah. These were very normal looking people. Mm-hmm. These are very normal everyday people. So how does this happen? It's slow. It's a slow indoctrination. It's one step at a, it's love bombing in the beginning. We love you. We love you. We love you. You're everything. Then they draw you in. Then they build you up. Then they break you down. Then they rebuild you into what they want you to be. Yeah. I mean, very well put. Uh, I, I find it, I think sometimes when I, uh, cause I've, I've long been fascinated by cults and sort of not so much the leaders, but really the, 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 the those who join and subscribe mm-hmm. and sort of perpetuate out, it out into the world. And I find myself in conversation and sometimes argument where there are people who have never, you know, subscribed or, or come close to even joining a, a group like this, maybe because they've mm-hmm. never had the opportunity. But I think that there's this common idea that how, again, it's sort of what we talked about before is like, how could you be so stupid or naive? But I, all I think is, I don't, I'm not sure I know anyone who would out of hand reject every single thing like this. Like right. people want to feel better. People are lost and people are sad. And if you can present either a system or a belief system or a way of doing things that even just at work or self help thing that other people say works or even might work, it's, it, Keith is preying on this mm-hmm. need that so many have, which is I'm lost and I want to feel better, you know? Right. And, and I think that people are, when, when I think of the believers in things like this, I have great sympathy, empathy, understanding, I feel like. But when I, mm-hmm. in, in Nexium, what I find maybe most disturbing is that it's really not just Keith doing terrible things. There's a lot of people, again, at various levels, just doing really, really on their face, out of hand, dark, terrible shit. I mean, even uh-huh. just, even, not even you, but there, there, there are excerpts in your book about what these people were, even just their letters to you are like, they're fucking demented. And that's early right. on, you know, right. you have to imagine the kind of, pressure that was being put on these people later on if they if they threatened mm-hmm. to leave you know right because he got better at it yeah for and, sure yeah. and the parallel sitting in that trial and knowing what i was experiencing and then listening to witnesses as they're going through the years and i'm comparing and i thought to myself my god he just he was just relentless with everyone mm-hmm. it was just beating people getting them to submit mm-hmm. breaking them down and again the, the the hard thing for me to fold was I, I sat in the trial and i said i have survivors um guilt in some respects because as horrible as what he did to me for the last 20 years uh, i felt like what didn't i say clear enough why didn't anyone listen yeah why couldn't this have been stopped before and as you pointed out, it's sad. I mean, I can't ask you, tell you how many people have asked me if, if I was branded. Yeah. Uh, and I'm like, call, go read and call me back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Because it's it was the tipping point. But, you know, kind of thank God because I believe that his, 
I call it the Princess Diana mm. um, concept. Keith needed to change the narrative. Mm-hmm. The the media was catching up with them, even as many times as he changed his names, because that's what cults do. They change their names so that the media can't, you know, you can't follow them on right. the internet. Right. Nexium is a very difficult thing to Google. Yeah. You, know, you you can now, but think about when he made that transition. Yeah. It was right right after two uh, two suicides, so you know he was trying desperately to cover his tracks, and I don't know he. Um, yeah, I, I I don't know if he's. I think he was born this way. Yeah, and I, and and I and and hopefully there's very few people that are like this that are so demented. Mm-hmm. But but when he was on the run and and he wasn't caught yet, I was really afraid that he would convince one of these girls that was still very much indoctrinated to take their own lives yeah. in a, in a public kind of way. Yeah. So that he could point the finger because that's what he does and say, see, see what those detractors did. See what the media did. See what they did. Right. Yeah. And he, change the narrative. Yeah. I mean, even as you illustrate in the book, you know, the, the, the moment that the authorities do get him when he, he's in Mexico, right? I mean, he's, he's, uh-huh. he's just like, uh, he's like a criminal from the movies. He's hiding out in Mexico and he's got his harem of people around him. And I think one thing we didn't talk about was this. I think, you know, what people, if they know anything about Nexium, it's, it's sort of the manipulation and sort of, uh, abuse of, of women. But there was this weirdly, which I didn't know actually until I read your book, because I always wondered what the fuck were the men doing this whole time? Like, mm. I, I understand what, I mean, there's so much literature now on available about what he did to women and how he manipulated them. But what the fuck were the, I just would think, what are these men just standing around like unaware with their fucking just chin up to the sky, not paying any attention. But what you pointed out, which I didn't know was that there was this, uh, there was, there was like a men's only group that sort of mm-hmm. preached very men's rightsy red pill stuff, right? Yep. Okay. Yep. So they're not yep. they're not oblivious. They're just like this is how we're supposed to treat women, right? Right, because this is the way Keith tells them, the vanguard tells them women need to be treated for their own good. Right. And you know, why they why they listened, I I don't know, but um, well, I mean, if it benefit, I mean, ostensibly benefits them. They have people that are subservient to them, and uh, you know, mm-hmm. it's this weird thing of like it, a cult leader can make you become a slave or a master or anything in between. It's like you're just gonna fucking listen because that's your life now, you know. Mm-hmm. And I'm curious as to, I mean, you you went to every trial that you could, all the court stuff. Um, the evolution of the believers, the core believers, the, the the most believer believers that there are who actually had to plead guilty to get out of any potential uh, jail time. Uh, mm-hmm. how, how much of that do you, th- in your eyes, so many of them you did know, how much of that do you think is bullshit, them just trying to get out of trouble? Or do you think it's that they've actually come around and realized the dementedness of this guy that they dedicated so much of their life to? Do, which one... <sighs> What do you well, see I when think, you see them do that? I think Nancy Salzman in particular just pled out, mm-hmm. not because she feels, I don't think she's capable of feeling too much either. Mm-hmm. Um, she did it just so that she could get first one out and the best deal. Um, Lauren Salzman, her daughter, 
who, it was heartbreaking. It was heartbreaking to watch her testify what has happened to her life. Mm -hmm. And I think that she did believe him. I think she, I don't think she had any outs. She had her, her two, the two people that she turned to for advice were Nancy and Keith. Where do you go in your 20s when those are your role models? I mean, they, they turned her into a machine. She just, you know, it was, it was heartbreaking. Um, but I do believe that she believed that what she was doing was right, as horrible as the things were that she was doing. And, and that's where I go back into that. You know, we don't have a place for people like that. Yeah. That girl doesn't belong in prison. Right. But yeah. she has to pay for what she did. Right. So where, where does she go? What do you do with someone like that? You know, how do you find the right place? I can't honestly speak to Allison. I didn't see her. I saw her allocution. Um, I don't know enough about her that I would feel comfortable really making a, mm-hmm. a statement. Although just hearing some of the things, I, 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 I have a, a, I have more passion for Lauren than I did anyone else mm. because she was just there so long. And she had no other resources. And it was her mom. Um, I mean, her mom was the prefect. I mean, her. how do you leave that? It's your mom. Right. It's literally right. your mother. It's not it's, someone right. you know or used to trust. It's like, right. what are you going to do? Yeah. And I was there when, you know, before Nancy became the prefect. And all Lauren really wanted was her mother to pay attention to her. She was just looking for her mom to pay attention to her. I yeah. saw that even before this all started. Yeah. So... When Nancy started to pay attention to her because she was doing the coaching, right? You know, um, and her dad, as I wondered about what happened with her dad, but it, it came out in the trial that they, you know, they grabbed, they had something on Michael as well. So it's how they control people to not speak out, mm-hmm. to not go public with things, and you just, you know, they you keep your head down. You hope it's going to go away. Yeah, but uh, and Claire Brothman, I I don't know, (laughs) you know, I just think that there's absolutely no way that she was not aware of what she was doing. She's perjured herself so many times in testimony Mm -hmm. that it's a joke, right? And that nothing ever is done. It's just money. Yeah, and she still has all the money in the world to protect herself, right? I mean, she's not broke. Yeah, okay. No, no, she's not broke. And I, I not, to, not to the best of my knowledge, she's not broke. And I think it's going to take a lot to break her. Yeah. Um, I hope that she does go to a maximum security or a federal prison. I think it's something like, I think the judge said, if, if he gives her over 27 months that she can appeal it, um, because she, you know, she's being, she pled. So it's right. what are those charges? And it's back to the same thing, but it's the opposite. So, when the judge took the allocutions of, let's say, Nancy Selzman, and she pled to the charges that she did, and then later he learned how much influence she had, how much influence Claire had, um, you know, what was the manipulation that was going on, the coercion, you know, sadly, can he take any of that into consideration? Right. We're going back to that letter of the law thing. Yeah. But I yeah. think even 27 months in a federal prison for someone like Claire Brothman, who sits in wait in her, I don't know, something like $10,000 a month apartment in Manhattan somewhere, <laughs> um, in home confinement. Yeah. Um, I hope it's horrible for her. Yeah. I mean, 
that the bills she uh, <laughs> paid for really, I mean, that you could draw a direct line as to that was the ultimate, the ultimate source of the pain that anyone involved in Nexium was able to create was really, I mean, it was out of her wallet, you know, it wasn't, yeah. it, there's no mystery there, you know, I mean, if you have enough had, money, you can keep going. And that was all her right. money. Yeah. I had two people tell me to my face that they were offered a million dollars to get me indicted. Two different people. Oh my God. Yeah. 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 I mean, that is just so fucking extreme. That is so extreme. Do you, Yeah. do you, I mean, you knew Keith extremely well. Do you, and I'm assuming I know the answer, but I have to ask, is there, do you sense like any remorse or regret or any, any natural human feeling in the wake of all of this from him? I know you haven't talked to him, but I know you've seen him a lot just in, at the court and everything. Is there anything from the man that you know, or even back then? I mean, was, was it always clear in retrospect that this was a sociopath or was this something that became clear and now you look at him and it's just dead eyes 24-7? Like, is, the, what, is there a human in there? No. No. I mean, and I say that so quickly. Yeah. I, I didn't miss one second of that trial. I think I only missed a couple of the hearings. After 20 years of him basically trying to blow up my life and the life of my family and, and my child and my friends and anyone that came into contact with me, uh, you know, finally he was where he needed to be. All I wanted was to see the law used the way it's supposed to be used for him to be held accountable in the court of law with the, the place that they use to abuse people mm -hmm. for decades. And when the jury was charged, um, at the, the day that they read the charge, I was one of the only people in the courtroom because to the rest of the world, that was boring. They didn't want to hear the charges. Hmm. It was myself and a sketch artist. That was it. And it took the full day. And I watched him and I watched that jury. And I knew that they were going to come back. Yeah. There was just, there was no way. And when they, they had four hours, four or five hours, and they had lunch, they were back with the verdict. And his reaction was like he shrugged like <laughs> <laughs> it, was, it was like he was he was it was first i really think he thought he was going to get away with it yeah i mean th that is fucking wild but i think it really 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 underscores who the guy is which is that right. there's no human there's no actual human there he just gets away with things he's always been able to he's manip he pulls what he needs to as sociopaths do and uses the information almost reflexively automatically to manipulate and get what he wants yes. i'm assuming he just thought that the jury would agree with everyone else in his life who usually does appear to agree with him and let him do what yeah. he wants you know yep yeah, he's, it's worked. I mean, for all these years, Matt, it's worked yeah. with everyone, with everyone on every level. And he sat across from those jurors, and I'd watch him, you know, I'd laugh because I'd watch him try to connect with jurors uh -huh. and do different things, his NLP skills. And right. I would laugh because <laughs> it's not going to happen. They hate you. Yeah. You're disgusting. One of the most disturbing things for me during the trial was, was when they, proving through photographs 
um, a lot of things. And they were proving that that he had photographs of a 15-year-old, pornographic photographs. And there was, I don't know, eight or 10 or 11 or so photos of different women in his inner circle that he had photos of also. And they... The government found them hidden in a file on his computer, and they were all under their nicknames. So the way that they proved that was they had emails that proved that those were the nicknames right. he used and that they accepted it, and they went through that. And the girl was 15 at the time, and at 15, he has a photograph of her. Now all the other women in the, in the photos are also positioned in, in the same place, way um, he, he has a look, apparently. Mm. And... She doesn't have any scars on her body. At 16, she has appendicitis, so she has a scar from appendicitis. And in her 20s, when she's branded, she has the brand. Oh, God. And he, what disturbed me was he got to watch and look at all these photos yeah. because as, and he would, it was the only time that I saw any emotion from him as he would kind of like pull into the computer screen to get a better, closer look. And I was watching him, and I was watching the jurors watch him. And I thought I was the only one disgusted. Mm. But there wasn't anyone in the room that saw that that wasn't disgusted by it. Because you could see the pleasure he was getting out of it. (sighs) Or when they'd show videos of him, the first video that came up that he was in his library, in the library, he started to point to the computer screen and to his attorney, like, oh, look, that's my hot tub. That's my library. He's just so delusional, just so he thinks that everything he's doing is, is okay. Wow. What a fucking crazy person. Yeah. I mean, every once in a while you run into people like this, rarely are they the leader of some group and allowed the opportunity to reach their, as he would put it, fully, fully integrate, but really to just reach their full dementedness i mean rarely i mean every once in a while i'll come across someone and think that's just someone who to absolutely avoid no matter what Mm -hmm. you know right and i'm and i like to think i would peg keith as that but who the fuck knows but rarely do they actually get a foothold to act to be able to step all the way into what their full madman sort of form mm-hmm. is, you know, they're, they they do not have enough money or they don't have enough people that give a shit or they don't have a, enough success or whatever it is. I mean, Keith, it was, a, it was right. like a strange, perfect confluence of things. I mean, if he hadn't met people who would be that sort of army, even his early army, the, none of it would have happened. Those enablers, you know, there's so many steps along the way. Right. If he never met Nancy, if he never da da da, but this is a case where that would be madman stepped into all of the things that allowed him to be, you know, and, and it's mm-hmm. just, it's remarkable how long he got to be that. And I'm curious for you on the other end of all of this, I mean, you talk about a little bit in your book, but now that we're, you know, looking like we're going to wrap up soon, I want to know sort of where, cause you've been on this, not by choice at first. I mean, you you were just sort of fending for your life as he's trying to put you underwater with all these lawsuits and this crazy shit. But what what how are how do you not how do you move on from this? But how how are you feeling now with him getting what he finally getting what he deserves and now 
your life is sort of free now, finally. But I would imagine uh-huh. the the real sort of relief is that he is gone from the world. Right. Yes. You know, the last thing Keith said to me was, the next time I see you, you'll be dead or in jail. Right. And he was half right. <laughs> yeah. Well, he was in jail. <laughs> yeah. You got and, the jail part right. Yeah. yeah. You got the jail part right, Keith. You're not as smart as you said either. And, and when he was arrested, he was suing me in the state of Washington and t- trying to have me extradited into Mexico for unfalse charges. Huh. So there wasn't really, you know, there's only so much you can explain in the book where people's heads start to still tilt. Yeah. Um, and, and then once he was arrested, it was putting together the information that I had to give to the government. So a lot of the basics, you know, so many people say to me, you know, the details, how did you get these details? Yeah. Um, 20 years of documents and boxes and things and putting them together, not for the purpose of writing a book, but for the purpose of giving them to somebody that can actually finally do something with them. Right. And, you know, that was that process of my life. And then the trial came and I didn't miss any of the trial because as it, from a healing point, it was important for me to, to be able to see that through. But when you have PTSD, just because the person that started that or caused that or helped perpetuate that is gone, that doesn't dissipate from your body. Right. So it just takes time and it takes time to heal and, and processing, you know, what's going on. His sentencing is January 17th and I'll be there yeah. to, to watch him go away for the, for the last time because I, I think that's going to probably be about it for him. Yeah, um, yeah. I mean, he's definitely uh, he's, he's got to go away for the rest of his life at this point. How old is well, he? Well, there's still he's fifty eight. Okay, he's fifty fifty eight, fifty nine, fifty nine now. Um, fifty eight or fifty nine. Um, he there's two charges. There's child pornography and um, I think uh, child pornography and exploitation of a child. The, those are predicate acts in the Eastern District. They were tossed to the Northern District because of jurisdiction. Uh, but um, it doesn't look like, you know, I think they're waiting to see if he gets 40 years, let's say. Right, if it's necessary yeah. to, to go forth yeah. with that stuff. Yeah, so what were the charges that, that he was ultimately found guilty on? I, I read, I, it was seven charges, right? Yes, um, exploitation of, I don't have the list in front of me. Uh, yes, I do. Racketeering. Racketeering conspiracy, racketeering forced labor, wire fraud, sex trafficking, sex trafficking, um, uh, trying on. It's like his final, the final resume that he actually deserves. That's, that's, that's it. Yeah. Yeah. He's, um, not everything that he should have be charged with, but enough to put him away right. um, for the rest of his life. He, there, there's a reason for prisons, for people like that. Yeah. Someone like Keith should not be exposed to the world um, ever again. And, and yet you, he's been caught with two cell phones. So oh, who's wow. he calling? Yeah, do you, I was going <laughs> to say, do you think he's just sitting there thinking, I can't... I, he must be sitting there thinking, um, I can't believe I'm being persecuted like this. This is all, oh, yeah. these are all, this is one big smear campaign because yeah. they don't want, yeah, it's crazy. There's no way he's not doing that. What a 
fucking crazy guy. Yeah. Right. There, no, he he's ne- man, he's never made a mistake in his life. It's always yeah. somebody else's fault. And if you ever want to know what he's doing or anyone that's still left of his inner circle or anyone that's still propagating or pretending, all you have to do is see what are they claiming or what whatever he would say you were doing, I would tell authorities or attorneys or whoever I was talking to, that's what he's doing. Right. He, he mimics, he mirrors exactly what he's doing. It's almost like he can't stand that he has a secret and he has to tell. That's, that's, right, how he, yeah. that's how you know what's going on. I mean, that might be the most human thing about him because that's something people do a lot. It's just like the ultimate psychopath version of it because it's endless and so it's so true all the time, nonstop with him that it's just mm-hmm. like, it's almost automatic, you know? Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, I mean, fuck. I mean, I'm definitely gonna be paying attention to the, uh, to the, uh, sentencing. I mean, that, that feels like it'll be the final part of this story. And hopefully everyone touched by him can sort of move on with their life without having to worry about that fucking yeah, piece of I shit. Yeah. I think that this judge is, the judge was excellent. Um, he was amazing and compassionate, but held how the strong court, um, no one really was, there, there weren't any, any he, he was given every opportunity to get what he was duly in, entitled to. Yeah. Um, so it wasn't that he was, there was any lost opportunity there. Yeah. Uh, but he'll appeal. I mean, that's what they do. They right. Appeal. Yeah. Yeah. I just think he's out of gas at this point. I mean, he's, he's a notorious pedophile cult leader now to the entire world. And Mm -hmm. I don't think that's, he's got nothing. I mean, he's fucked. And finally, thankfully he's fucked. Um, finally. Yeah. Uh, well, it's been about an hour and a half, Tony. I really appreciate your time. Is there anything, uh, you want to share with my audience before we jump off here? Um, anyone that's looking for more information, we have a website called The Fall of Nexium. We're going to be, we put up documents and and looking for people that are looking to tell their story or need support. We're going to be collecting and helping. You know, I was watching the news the other day and they said that there's an epidemic of loneliness out there. Yeah, yeah. And when I heard that, it scared me because I thought, oh, that like opens the door for somebody like Keith. I know. I think so, about that too. I really do. Yeah. It's frightening. So, you know, how do you see those flags and where do you go to get the information? And if, for people that want to, we're going to put up a, a section that are documents and, and legal briefs and things so that people have a better understanding of mm-hmm. what happened and what to look out for. Yeah. The flags to look out for and how to how to be, be wary for themselves, their children. Um, yeah, that's just, so important. I think that's great. Uh, what's the website again? It's the fall of Nexium. The fall of Nexium dot com. The fall of cool. Nexium. And uh, then there's always Rick Ross, who's an amazing resource for people. Right. And your book is out and it's called The Program. And the Program. Everyone should read it. I read it. It blew my mind. We covered some Thanks. of it here, but not nearly all of it. So definitely if this interested you, check it out because it's it's a really, really amazing book. And Tony, thank you for writing it, uh, for sharing it with the world. And thank you for coming on the show. I really appreciate it. And uh, let's be in touch. 
Matt, thank you for reaching out. It really meant a lot to me. It really did. Okay. I appreciate your time. Great. Yeah, likewise. Okay, I'll talk to you soon, Tony. Thank you. you too. Bye-bye. <laughs>